All right, Venture, it's great to see you today. Hey, show of hands, who's ready to throat punch 2022? Just punch it in the throat. You ready? Don't you just love this time of year and the unbridled optimism toward like New Year's resolutions and gearing up to greet the new year? We're going to get to the throat punching here in just a bit. But before that, let's honor what happened right before that. Christmas was the season that happened. I'm curious, how many of you uh, can think back, if you can, think back to two or three weeks ago. Think of your favorite present, either that you gave or that you received. And I want you to turn to whoever's next to you right now and just share with them what your favorite gift was of 2022. Now, before you start talking. Is the person next to you somebody who actually gave you a gift? Think about that and filter the, your answer, what you're getting ready to share through that lens. Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. Do that. While you're doing that, I'm going to invite a couple of friends of mine to come on out. Bring it out, fellas. Back it up. Back up the truck and unload it. We need some materials to kick off this series well. Are you telling stories about your favorite Christmas present? Go ahead and do that while they back up the trucks. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Sam. Okay, favorite Christmas presents. You know, actually, I'm, uh, I've got a couple here with me right now. I happen to be wearing some uh, presents from my wife. These shoes right here, these new kicks, these came from Dawn, and I'm breaking them in as you should, preaching. That's a great way to break in a new pair of shoes. If I'm super honest, though, thank you. Hey, can we give them a, a round of applause? A thank you. Yeah. I'll tell you about this here in a second, but that actually reminds me, uh, my favorite, let's see, Canadian cable access comedian, right? That's a narrow field right there, right? Red Green, how many of you are familiar with Red Green? I love this phrase he uses, if the women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. Isn't that good? we got some handy guys here today, and handsome, I might add. Uh, hey, they are a part of a group called F3 here in the north side of Indianapolis area. It stands for the three Fs. Let me see if I can get this right. Faith, fellowship. I want to say fun. It's not fun. I think they do have fun, but it's uh, fitness. Don't make the mistake I did. That's not fitting this sandwich into my mouth. That's like lift up heavy things and make you healthier. So if you're a dude and you're looking for to, to just throat punch 2022 in the throat uh, and you want to get fit and you want to lean into faith and fellowship, and have, talk to one of the, those guys afterwards. They would love to talk to you into joining that. Okay, where was I? Uh, favorite present. This came from my brother, Mike. And you know what? Actually, I'm not going to tell you about this present right now. I'm going to set it there, and I'll leave you in suspense. We'll come back to that later. Why the construction materials? What's going on up here? Well, we're kicking off a series, a sermon series today that's going to be a seven-week-long sermon series. There's a construction theme to these next seven weeks. We're not going to so much build anything today, but we're going to spend seven weeks rebuilding this is a book study through the book of Nehemiah. Es uh, let's see, we've got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Go ahead and grab your Bible, pull it out. If you know your Bible, go ahead and head to the book of Nehemiah. You might work from the front. Actually, you've got 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, then Ezra, Nehemiah. That's where we're camping for the next seven weeks. Bring your Bibles to church, by the way. You're going to want to have those with you for the next seven weeks. We have Bibles in the seat underneath, uh, right in front of you. If you reach up underneath the seat in front of you, there is a Bible there. If you want to 
pull that out, Nehemiah is on page 476 of that particular Bible, page 476. Rebuilding. Today's message is actually called uh, a dislocated heart. Because before we build anything, we have to recognize, oh, there's some destruction that's taken place. Nehemiah is one of my favorite Old Testament books. He's also one of my favorite Old Testament characters. He's not a prophet, he's not a priest, he's not a king, but he made a lasting difference. How? Well, he built stuff. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8, if you want to turn it there, it highlights, highlights one of the key things that he built. It's listing all these cast of characters that served, helped. They were all swinging hammers. They were doing construction work together, shoulder to shoulder. Next to them, verse 8, Uziel. Now, the key with these Old Testament names, you just go ahead and say it like you know how to pronounce it because nobody really knows how to pronounce it. If you're confident, you just kind of throw it out there. Uziel, son of Hariah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. One of the goldsmiths made repairs. This is kind of an all-hands-on-deck strategy. It doesn't matter what their profession was. They leaned in to the good work of rebuilding. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. I'm telling you, everybody was involved with this, made repairs, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. These were extensive repairs. We're going to see why Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt here in just a minute. But first, would you like to see the broad wall? Well, too late. I'm already showing it to you. Here is the broad wall. This comes uh, like in 1970. Archaeologists were digging in Jerusalem. They're always digging in Jerusalem. And they found this. And it kind of just confirms the truth of Scripture, that Scripture is real and it's true and we can trust it. Here is the broad wall. It was built um, by Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, then rebuilt by Nehemiah who we're going to study for the next seven weeks. Here's a close-up picture of the broad wall. It's so cool for me to think about this. Nehemiah himself, who we're reading about, or one of the cast of characters, the perfumer, or was it a goldsmith, uh, they might have had their hands on one of the rocks that you're looking at right there. I don't know about you, but I love to think about that. Nehemiah. This week, can I challenge you? Would you read, grab your Bible, pull it out, read the books of Ezra. These are short books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. These are the last of the Old Testament history books. As a matter of fact, the historical information that's in these three books corresponds with the ministries of the last three prophets of the Old Testament. The very last part of your Old Testament books, you've got Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, What they talked about corresponds with the same historical time period of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. If you were here last week, Jake preached, did a great job. And we studied together Daniel. And perhaps you remember that the setting for that story is that 70-year period of Jewish captivity in Babylon and Persia. Well, the books that I'm going to challenge you to read this week, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, uh, these take us from the end of that cav- captivity through the end, uh, th- through, through their return to Jerusalem. Ezra tells us about nearly fi- 50,000 Jewish exiles that return and they rebuild the temple. 
Then uh, Esther tells us about the life and the death of the Jews that remained in Persia. And then Nehemiah tells us about the last great victories of the Old Testament. Would you agree with me? That coming out of the crazy two-year period of history that we're coming out of right now, there are life lessons to glean from Nehemiah. Lessons on self-leadership as we seek to rebuild. This is timely. Because for the next seven weeks, we're aiming at rebuilding. We're rebuilding routines, rebuilding relationships, rebuilding lives. And I want to challenge you to make sure you're here. Be a part of every week of this seven-week series. So here's what we're going to do the rest of today. I want to give a brief overview of the book of Nehemiah. Then I want to zero in on a specific section. We're going to draw some application from that, including we're going to celebrate a funeral. Then, and only then, we're going to punch 2022 in the throat. Okay, so what Nehemiah did, let's start with an overview, a brief overview of the whole book. What Nehemiah did was nothing short of phenomenal. What God did through him was nothing short of, get this, providential. There is nothing supernatural in the story. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even speak in this book, but his divine fingerprint is on every page. This has long been one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It builds on the major themes of faith, leadership, and perseverance. That Nehemiah's character and his integrity are exemplary for any generation, and his leadership style is a worthy study for anybody who desires to lead others. So let me briefly share the story with you. Nehemiah had been born and lived all of his life in Babylonia and in Persia, and he'd never actually seen the land of Israel. He hadn't laid his eyes on the city of God, Jerusalem. He had a terrific job in the palace in Babylon. He was the cupbearer, check this out, to King Artaxerxes. This is a position that's reserved for those who are only of the highest level of trust. He was living the good life. He had an influential career. He had a very comfortable environment in which to work, and he had access to all of the black tie events in the palace, as well as access to the who's who of the kingdom itself. So how did a Jewish refugee get such a high position? I'm glad you asked. King Artaxerxes would have been Queen Esther's stepson. If you read about her this next week, you can see that her position probably carried a whole lot of influence in the palace. Then, one day all of that changed. One day, a guy named Hanani, we're going to see him a little bit closer here in a minute, and a handful of others returned with a report of what's going on back in the homeland in the city of Jerusalem. And the news, the news wasn't positive. Well, let's read it together, shall we? This is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is bad for a city in the ancient Near East. They can't defend themselves without gates and without a wall. So Nehemiah prayed, and then he requested permission from the king to go actually to the land of his ancestors and to lead them in rebuilding the city walls. We're going to spend time for the next seven weeks talking about these principles of rebuilding. He sacrificed his royal position to make Jerusalem his mission. He was organized in his preparation. We're going to talk about these. He was thoughtful in his approach to the problem. 
He was encouraging in his leadership with the people, and he was prayerful in his desire to do the will of God. Nehemiah took on a job that was bigger than anything he could accomplish alone. And we get this progress report. If you want to turn a couple of pages over to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, about halfway through the process, we get this progress report. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. That's probably about 10 feet tall at this point. For the people worked with all their heart. This gives you an insight into his leadership acumen. The people are really leaning into this project. They're putting their shoulders into it, working with all of their heart. If you uh, see what happens next, it's actually remarkable. If you skip ahead to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, we see what happens. So the wall was completed. The construction, reconstruction, finished. On the 25th of Elul in 52 days. This is amazing. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid, and they lost their self-confidence. Why? Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Is this a big deal? Absolutely it is. The circumference of this ancient wall was likely, get this, 2.5 miles. It was 20 feet thick. You saw that in one of the sections that I showed you. And at least 20 feet high. What was it about Nehemiah that made him successful when others seemed powerless to accomplish this all-important task? How could Nehemiah rally a tired and a weary populace to rebuild these massive walls when others couldn't motivate them, when they were energized about the task after their return? That's why studying Nehemiah is so worthy of our time today, and we're going to explore those principles for the next seven weeks. If you want to be appreciated at home, successful on the job, respected in the community, and effective at building relationships. If you want to rebuild well coming out of a global pandemic, then study Nehemiah. The characteristics we see in him are worth imitating, and we're going to explore those over this series. But right now, I want to dive in a little bit deeper on one specific passage right at the beginning of this book of Nehemiah. Actually, chapter 1, verse 1. Company comes. Hanani is his name. He's probably actually Nehemiah's blood brother. This is not just bro. This is like his actual brother, like same mother and father. And a whole bunch of other Jewish men arrived from the city, uh, from this remnant uh, that had uh, gathered around Jerusalem. They're returning from their homeland. Now, remember, Nehemiah had never actually lived in Judah. This was only the land of his heritage and the land of his faith. But he cares deeply for what's happening there. So Nehemiah asks, how are the people who returned? And how is the city of Jerusalem doing? Let's go ahead and read this together. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, this is the capital city of Babylon, Hanani, one of my brothers, probably actually flesh and blood brother, came from Judah. Real quick, let's talk about Judah. Judah is just one of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Judah is really a remnant. 
If you were to go 150 years-ish before that, you've got the lost tribes of Israel, the northern tribes. They're carried off by the Assyrians, lost to history, gone, gone. And then about 70 years before this story, Judah, the last remaining holdout, the uh, capital city is Jerusalem. They're carried off by the Babylonians, and this is a time of, of despair. Let's go ahead and keep reading. They come from Judah with some other men, and I question them about the Jewish remnant. Again, this is just a remnant. This is a group of people that probably feels the depth of despair from this bizarre season of history that they've all lived through. Can any of you relate just just a little bit to that? When I think about the last two years of my life, I'm 47 years old. I can't think of any other two years I would string together. Maybe some of you are older than me, and maybe you remember the Vietnam era or before. I don't know. Maybe there's another era you would point to. But for my life, it kind of feels like the last two years, this has been a tough season that we've all lived through. Jewish remnant, they survived. Hmm. Didn't thrive. We want to thrive, right? No, no. They had survived the exile. Some of us maybe today are just feeling like, hey, listen, we've kind of survived the last two years of history. And also about Jerusalem, this capital city of Judah. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. Maybe you know friends or family members or coworkers that are feeling angst to some level right now during this weird season we've lived through. Maybe they, it seems to you, maybe they feel like they're in trouble. And, and disgrace. The wall, a wall is a very important defensive measure in this part of the world. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. This is a problem to solve. We're going to have to rebuild. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. I know what some of you are thinking. You type A's, you're thinking, all right, yeah, there's a problem. What's the solution? Let's make our list. Let's go after this thing. Let's attack it. Let's make it happen. How do we fix this? This is part of our culture that we live in, right? Notice what Nehemiah does. For some days, we don't know how many days we're talking about. I assume some days means at least three. Maybe it means as many as a couple or three weeks. I don't know. But for some days, a period of time... I mourned. That's action. I fasted. That's action as well. And prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and I know you're leaning forward, and you're like, well, what's he going to say? What's the action step? Who's going to pick up a hammer? Who's got the saw? How do we start rebuilding this thing, right? Right? We need to notice that action did take place. We'll get to that in weeks to come. But before... Before they picked up a hammer and a saw, they put some other action into place as well. Some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the creator God of the universe. If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't start rebuilding until you've acknowledged the demolition. Nehemiah didn't jump straight into the lists and the actions. He was great at leadership. He was great at delegation. We're going to learn that here in a little bit. But first, first he acknowledged the demolition. He sat down and he prayed and he fasted 
and he mourned, and he took the time to feel the feels that he was feeling. Here's a way to restate that. Don't skip over the funeral to the wedding. I mean, we want the wedding, right? We want to dance. We want the DJ. Don't skip over the funeral. I did a funeral this past week, and I was reminded again of how important and how powerful lament, how powerful mourning is designed to be. To take a moment, at least, and simply absorb what you're feeling. We want to take space to do that today. Here's another way to restate this. Sometimes the glass is half empty. I left you hanging earlier. You know the statement, you know, an optimist would say it's half full, a pessimist would say it's half empty. I kind of wonder if the realist might say sometimes, yeah, it kind of is half empty. And I feel some loss in that. And that's okay. Can we just acknowledge that truth? This particular cup, I told you earlier, this was one of my favorite Christmas presents. After I unwrapped it, Dawn looked at me, oh, a few minutes after, and she said, I think I might have seen a tear or two in your eyes when you unwrapped this. Is that true? Yeah. Here's what was going on inside of my heart. My brother Mike gave this to me. It's one of two. It's a matching set. My name is on this one, Stan. My other brother, Chris, his name is on the other one. It's welded on there with an aluminum weld. A couple days before I unwrapped this, I was uh, at my childhood playground. I'll tell you another time about that story. It was kind of cool to get to be there. It was the playground that I played on as a kid in the elementary school that I, until fifth grade. was. And I, I hadn't been back there, oh, probably maybe five times since I finished fifth grade. I'm rarely, I have no reason to be back there. But I was there just a few weeks ago. And I was walking around, and I, I could walk you to the spot. I'm pretty sure this is where I learned the news that my grandpa had passed away. And I just walked through that spot and was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago. And then a couple of days after that, I'm unwrapping these presents with my family. I'm unwrapping this. My brother Chris is unwrapping. Mike had orchestrated it to where we're doing it at the same time. And they're matching cups because we took on the project of restoring my grandpa's tractor, a 1951 MT. Uh, this is a John Deere tractor. And this is one of two uh, pistons from my grandpa's tractor. And I lifted it up after unwrapping it, and it says 020 underneath here. That might not mean anything to you, but what that means to me is that my grandpa had rebuilt that tractor at some point. He had uh, had the cylinders reamed out, and he had put in oversized pistons, and so my grandpa had had his hands on these at some point. And the collision of those two moments, the loss I felt as a fifth grader and the moment of redemption as an adult, and thinking through that bittersweet, I miss my grandpa, but I love that I have that connection to that piece of history. And feeling the joy and the sorrow at the same time, sometimes the cup is actually half empty. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Sometimes we need to have a funeral. The Bible talks an awful lot about the power of lament, I saw this image. 
The Motley Fool shared this uh, just uh, last week. This is uh, jumping, leaping from 2021 to 2022, and it's an accompanying an article that I thought was pretty interesting. It was an article, basically it was a poll that USA Today and Suffolk University together had done this poll. I think they reached out to uh, a thousand people and then asked them to describe with one word. It was an open-ended question. Tell us one word that describes 2021, a single word. I love the responses that they got. Here's the percentages. A percent, a 23% of folks describing last year used words like awful, terrible, bad. 12% used words like chaos, confusion, turmoil. 11% said it was challenging, it was hard, it was rough. 6% used some pretty strong loaded words like disaster, train wreck, catastrophe. All in all, only 14% of the 1,000 people surveyed in our country looking backwards at last year used adjectives that you would consider as positive, assuming you'd use the word exciting and say that's a positive word. 1% actually described 2021 this way. They said it was long. Maybe some of you can relate to that. We're feeling some feels, are we not? The same group of people, they ask them, hey, look ahead to 2022. What are you feeling with anticipation toward the year ahead? Check this out. 46% use the word hopeful. Hopeful. It's that tension between the now and the not yet. It's that tension between joy and sorrow. What needs rebuilding? As we spend time over the next seven weeks together, what are we trying to rebuild? Oh, don't make this about the walls. Don't make this about just a construction project. What needs rebuilt is you. What needs rebuilt is me. Don't limit Nehemiah to just rebuilding walls. His job was also to rebuild the people. I love the ministry axiom. We don't use the people to get the work done. We use the work to get the people done, and this is exactly what Nehemiah did. That's not a bad motto for ministry. Here's why. Because the work is timeless. There's always more work to be done. During its long history, Jerusalem has been destroyed twice. It's been besieged 23 times. It's been attacked 52 times. It's been captured and recaptured 44 times. There's always more work to be done. So have a funeral. There's an expression for that in the church, an opportunity to express. It's an experience, actually, that bridges the funeral of our Savior with the future, we read about this in Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb. One of these days, we get, to, we get to have a wedding. One of these days, we get together around the table with our Savior. There's a wedding feast that happens. The bride of Christ is reunited with the groom. There's a moment in between the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that day. And it's a moment, if you're new to our church, we do this every week. Every week, we gather together around the table and we're reminded of the now and the not yet. The tension between the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the one of these days we get to have a wedding feast together. It's a moment of reflection it's a moment of recognizing the tension that we live in. And so I want to invite you right now to lean into this opportunity. As you came in today, you probably noticed that um, this was sitting on the seat. 
Would you grab that right now? And if you're our guest, know that we do this every week. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, please join us in this moment. All are welcome at the table. And what I want to do right now is I want to explore that sweet space, that tension between the now and the not yet. And I want to invite you as you think about what these elements represent, the body of Jesus broken and the blood of Jesus shed for you. This is called a liturgy for embracing both joy and sorrow. Feel the tension of the two. Own the tension of the two. Lean in to the tension of these two. Lean in, listen. Do not be distant, O Lord, lest I find this burden of loss too heavy and shrink from the necessary experience of my grief. Do not be distant, O Lord, lest I become so mired in yesterday's hurts that I miss entirely the living gifts this day might hold. Let me neither ignore my pain, pretending all is okay when it isn't, nor coddle and magnify my pain so that I dull my capacity to experience all that remains good in this life. For joy that denies sorrow is neither hard won nor true nor eternal. It's not real joy at all. And sorrow that refuses to make space for the return of joy and hope in the end becomes nothing more than a temple for the worship of my own woundedness. So give me strength, O God, to feel this grief deeply. Never to hide my heart from it. And give me also hope enough to remain open to surprising encounters with joy. As one on a woodland path might stumble suddenly into dapplings of golden light. I like that phrase. Let me learn now, O oh Lord, to do this as naturally as the inhale and the exhale of a single breath. To breathe out sorrow to breathe in joy, to breathe out lament, to breathe in hope, to breathe out pain, to breathe in comfort, to breathe out sorrow, to breathe in joy. I'm going to invite you right now to take some time right where you're at to bow your head and to close your eyes. And when you're ready, you participate in the body broken. You participate in the blood shed. And recognize the now and the not yet, even in that moment of the tension. His body broken so that we could be redeemed. Maybe you need to breathe out some pain and breathe in some joy. Maybe you need to breathe out, confess some sins, and breathe in his sweet forgiveness. You take some time right now to do just that. I'll take some time myself, and then after a time, we'll pray together.
Jesus, your body broken, your blood shed, sorrow. The promise of eternal life that we have, that that yields joy. The work, the redemptive work you did on the cross 2,000 years ago, our hope of eternity, the push and the pull, we feel that tension. So God, just now we breathe out pain, we breathe in joy. We breathe out sin, we breathe in your forgiveness. Half empty, half full. We thank you for even the tension. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've taken some time to do a brief overview of the book of Nehemiah. We've zeroed in on one passage. We've had a moment of reflection even for a funeral. And because we have some type A's in the room, I don't want to leave today without the opportunity for a good old-fashioned throat punch as well for 2022. As we're going to discover through this series, Nehemiah begins building with the basics. He builds a wall. He builds some gates. He institutes some extensive moral and liturgical reforms in rededicating the Jews to Yahweh God. These are the basics. What I want to explore real quick, this half-empty versus half-full approach to life. I want to challenge you with, just real quick, seven rebuilding strategies for rebuilding faith in difficult times. And you can walk out of here with some action steps. Step one, examine your heart. Step one is always to examine your heart. I bet there's a passage of Scripture that would have been on the hearts and the minds of Nehemiah and the people that were shoulder to shoulder working on these walls. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The NIV puts it this way, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Everything comes from there. When you're experiencing difficulties, and I know some of us are, the first place to start is to deal with the issues and with yourself. Your attitude in challenging times could actually determine the outcome. Nehemiah is infectiously optimistic, as we're going to discover over these weeks. And while you might not be able to change your circumstances, you can certainly cooperate with God to change you. Step one is to examine your heart. Here's the rebuilding question for the day. Is your heart truly set for God's purpose to come to pass in your life? Step number two. Step number two is to meditate on God's word. How are you doing in that area of your spiritual disciplines right now? I suspect this is a passage that would have been quoted even as the hammers are being swung and as the people are doing the rebuilding work. This is from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is the beginning of the story of the nation of Israel. This is Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Right after that, he says this, keep this book of the law, the Bible, keep it always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And as these people are rebuilding the prosperous and successful city and lives that they want, I bet they thought about that passage of Scripture. How are you doing in that area right now? Meditating on Scripture. Are you satisfied that you spend enough time reading and studying God's Word? 
here's our issue. It's not that we don't have enough materials, right? We have enough Bible study helps. There are libraries filled with such tools. The issue is not that we don't have enough material. The issue is that we don't have enough motivation. So how's your motivation to dive into Scripture this year going? I took a screenshot yesterday of my phone. I want to share this with you. This is my Bible apps folder on my phone. I don't know if your phone does this, but mine automatically stops. Like It takes apps off. I have to re-download if I want to use them again, if I haven't used them in a couple of weeks. You'll notice that I've got basically three main go-tos here. I've tried other apps, and they just haven't worked great for me. Lagos is my Bible study tool. I'm in that one just about every day. The U version, this one right here, that's a great tool for studying the Bible. There's some great reading plans to be found there. I found one just a couple of months ago, actually. Daniel Shelton, our executive pastor, I climbed in the car with him one time. He was listening to this podcast. It's called The Bible Recap. If you're looking for an opportunity to study the Bible this year, can I suggest this to you? I just jumped in on this this year. I'm doing a read through the Bible in a year strategy, and I love the way they do this. They actually, you can read it through this Bible app, but if you go to their website or you download their app, The Bible Recap, it basically, it lines up podcasts for a devotional opportunity, podcasts for a, uh, a study opportunity, there's a reading plan to read through Scripture together. It's, it's really cool. It's very robust, and it's simple, and it's easy to follow. I would definitely recommend that to you if you're looking to follow with step two, meditate on God's Word. Step three is pray with faith. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Are you praying? And are you praying with faith, knowing that God is at work doing something in your life? Step four, renew your mind. I love this passage from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Psychologists tell us that our thinking influences how we feel. It also influences how we behave. And in line with this idea, that verse instructs you to renew your mind. Your mindset could cause your life to be out of line with God's perfect will for you. Here's the rebuilding question. Are you more focused and responsive to the adverse situation in your life than what God's word says for you? Step five. Rebuild your faith in God. There's this story in the New Testament where a, boy, or a dad brings his boy to Jesus to heal his son. And he says this to Jesus. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. This is in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. He says, if, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Here's the rebuilding question. What steps will you take to continue to stand in faith? Step six, offer praise and thanksgiving. We're getting ready to do that here in just a moment. The first song we sing, lean into the lyrics of this song. 
It reminds us of who God is and how he's worthy of our praise and our thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 puts it this way, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are you living a lifestyle? What steps have you taken to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving and praise? Step 7, nurture your spirit your soul, and your body. This is for the New Year's resolution crowd. I love this. In 1 Thessalonians, the passage says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, your whole being, everything that God has designed you to be, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are there some disciplines you need to lean into right now that nurture both soul, body, and mind. And you know it's true. You know that's something that you've let lapse. You know that's something you should lean into right now. I just would challenge you to do that. What steps, here's the rebuilding question, will you take to bring balance in that area into your life this week? And we're going to talk more about how we rebuild on that foundation next Sunday. Would you stand up with me right now? As we sing, as we sing these next several songs, lean into the theme of what's being spoken here. I'll give you a clue. It's the word faithfulness. Notice who is faithful. He was back in Nehemiah's day. He still is today. And that, that's a foundation to build on. Let's worship him together.